So we've been in our series on pondering priorities. We only have a couple left, and, and then we'll be in the Thanksgiving season, celebrating Thanksgiving. How are you ready for Turkey Day? Yeah, the turkey, the football, and the nap, right? <laughs> so how many want to hear a redneck joke? This is a short one. So Marcel and uh, Bubba are sitting on the front porch, and Marcel says to Bubba, a mighty fine day, Bubba says, sure is, sure is. And where'd that dog of mine? And so all of a sudden, the dog jumps up out from under the porch and runs up on the, the porch, and uh, uh, Bubba looks over at Marcel and says, what kind of dog is that? He said, well, that's a summer dog. He said, summer dog? I don't think I ever heard of a summer dog. He said, yeah, some of this and some of that. <laughs> we call that a mutt where I grew up. <laughs> Yeah, okay, you know. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. We need to have fun in church, amen? Uh, if you want to turn to Luke 16, Luke chapter 16, and uh, we're going to read from Luke 16, 19 through 31. The parable we're going to look into, the story today that we're going to take a look into that reflects for us in our series, Pondering Priorities, Pondering an Eternal Perspective. Pondering the reality of eternal perspective. Do we have an eternal perspective? And, and what is our eternal perspective? You know, so many people live this life and they think, well, at the end of this life, it's all over. Nothing else is going to happen. They don't have an eternal perspective. But today we're going to look at what Jesus had to say um, in regard to eternity and how important it is uh, for us to ponder our priorities as we approach uh, that uh, moment where he comes back again and we'll enter into eternity. Can you say amen? Uh, when we think about this uh, parable, one of the things that we find in it is we find that, that Jesus is referring to hell and he's referring to heaven. He's talking about uh, the, the, um, the comparison of those that, that would go to hell and those that would go to heaven. And I've already stepped across the line here in America. We don't like to preach about hell anymore. And the reason why is it doesn't make us feel warm and fuzzy we americans like our comfort i've spoke to that fact over the last few weeks that we like our comfort and we don't want anybody messing our comfort up so we don't like it when you talk about something or refer to something that messes up my 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 place of warm fuzzies right how many like warm fuzzies because i know i do we've been cultured in it we like the warm fuzzies but some of the word of god is just not warm and fuzzy can you say amen to that we read through it and we think, oh, no, not that one. I want to flip over. Oh, yeah, that one right there. You shall be blessed and so on and so forth. Live your life like this or you end up going to hell. That, no, thank you. Not that one. Right. And we pick and choose. And how many of you know that if we don't read the word of God in its entirety, then we will not understand eternal perspective. Luke 16, 19 through 31 there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously. That's a word you don't hear much anymore. Sumptuously. Huh? Every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died. And was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, 
he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all these, uh, excuse me, besides, besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. In other words, there's a chasm you cannot pass from one side to the other so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. That's Lazarus. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. That's the law. Moses gave the law, and the prophets, of course, spoke prophetically of what would come they have moses and the prophets let them hear them and he said no father abraham but if one goes to them from the dead they will repent but he said to them if they do not hear moses and the prophets neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead now real quick if we think about this parable that jesus and story that jesus is sharing here he's referring to the fact of that when people died this is before and this is before jesus dies on the cross is buried takes and goes into the the lower parts of the earth it says goes in and takes the keys of hell and death from the enemy from the devil right death loses its sting right when jesus took those keys because now through christ we don't taste death we don't actually experience death Colossians says that when we die, if we have received Christ, that death is swallowed up by life. In other words, the only death we know is the difficulties we faced in this life. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he works that work every day in this world. He brings destruction and despair in people's lives every day in this world. But where we place our faith in Christ, we are given a hope that this will be the hardest time we ever experience because when we die this life we pass from this life into a life that is eternal and full of glory amen so the conversation is going there jesus is is telling this story to kind of give us a perspective that if they won't believe moses and the prophets if they won't believe the law and the prophets then even if someone rise from the dead they won't believe it. Now, you find it interesting that the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus' take on their perspective of the law and the prophets was that they did not know what they were talking about. You know, in our parables, we've spent a lot of time talking about how the Pharisees and Sadducees were always questioning Jesus, always giving him a hard time, right? Can you imagine giving God a hard time? You know what I'm saying? I mean, giving God a hard time. Emmanuel, God with us. They are giving God a hard time every turn they take. They didn't understand the law and the prophets. How do I know that? Because Jesus said that he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And the Bible also says that he is that great prophet. 
He is the prophet, if you will. And so uh, what you got here is you got this comparison that he's drawing. He says, look, if they won't believe that, they're not even going to believe if a man dies and is raised from the dead, is resurrected from the dead. And he was right. They didn't, did they? You know, but fortunate for us, the gospel has been able to be carried around the world. And for those who place their faith in Christ, you know what we inherit? Eternal life. And this is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Jesus uses two extremes here to make his point. He uses the illustration of a person who is totally caught up in wealth and prosperity and another who is uh, in extreme poverty to show us the difference of the two individuals, uh, their eternal destinies. Now, let me say this, that poverty or wealth does not determine whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. Poverty and wealth does not do that. Why? Is money uh, moral or amoral? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, money will do what you do with money, correct? It's your influence upon money, not money's influence upon you. See, money's the root of all evil, isn't it? Ah, we got a few learned folks in here. The love of money is the root of all evil. So it's what you do towards money that causes it to be used for evil or for good, amen? This is what Jesus is trying to say here. He's trying to point out that, look, this man was consumed with his riches and that was his focus. How do we know that? Because there was a man at his gate that would gladly eat the crumbs from his table. Dogs are coming to lick his sores and he is, is, is faring sumptuously every single day while Lazarus lays at the gate. Making sense? Jesus draws that comparison. He tells it in a story for a very specific reason for us to see that if we are in wealth and the gospel has an effect on us, then we will be in effect for those who have need. Amen? For, for Lazarus, he's sitting at the gate. He doesn't have anything. And the Bible says this about Jesus. When he stood up in the, in the synagogue and he declared who he was, there was a point where he said this, I've come to proclaim the good news to the poor they don't have anything else the good news of the kingdom of god was something they needed to hear amen it's important to uh, properly motivate us to win others to christ jesus is trying to paint that picture for that reason and to press us with a great degree of fervency on the eternal destiny of others knowing the eternal outcome of of the wicked helps us as christians to maintain a right spiritual perspective knowing that there is a hell let's say consequence say this with me consequence reward consequence reward our whole life tells us that how many you go to work how many how many work you go to work and you work do you expect a paycheck if you do your job you expect a reward for what you did correct if you don't do your job do you expect your pay to be docked that's how the rubber meets the road it's like well you know i mean all those times i work really hard though <laughs> right <laughs> there's consequence and reward in everything we do how many of you've raised children raise your hands if you've raised children how many of you gave them consequences and rewards how many of you know that when we get to heaven we will be rewarded according to our works how many of you know that if our works are wood, hay, and stubble, if, in other words, if they're they are things that can be consumed with fire and burn up, in other words, uh, things that didn't matter, that they will be gone. 
and it's the things that mattered from an eternal perspective that will remain. I don't think anything brings greater clarity to this than the story of the rich young ruler, which we've already talked about a bit in this series. See, Jesus gives a warning, not against riches. He doesn't give a warning against riches. He gives a warning against the desire for riches. He gives a warning against allowing love to fill your heart towards money. And in doing that, you know, this I'll read from Luke 18 about the rich young ruler because it really reflects that. 18 through 25, it says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, young people. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that, he became very sorrowful. He said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Let me say, if they don't keep a right perspective, do you know that people that are poor can have the love of money just as much as people that are wealthy? You realize that? It's an attitude of the heart. Let me give you an example on that. Do just rich people gamble? Who tends to play the lottery the most? Anybody? Poor people do. Why? Well, because my plight is so bad, if I just play the lottery, I'll get rich. Anybody ever studied the statistics on that? That is as big a, a lie as there could be out there. You know why it's dead silent in here right now? Because some of you play the lottery and you're thinking, Pastor, <laughs> back up off of that one, man. Because <laughs> I know I'm going to hit it one day. I'm going to be rich. <laughs> Oh, trust me this, put your faith in God, don't put it in the lottery, amen? Okay, I'll move on from that one. <laughs> 2 Timothy 6, 9-10 through 10 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which draw men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows you know i remember years ago uh probably about uh, 11 years ago i remember a man he would come come to church his family they would all come to church and they they really they struggled in the church we tried to help them out and as we helped them out you would think that they were going to gain some kind of ground some kind of footing and start to to rise out of that place of poverty because the church is reaching out and helping them and they're not here today, and I, don't, I wouldn't tell a story on a person that was sitting in here unless it was a testimony of something good. But I tell this story for all of our benefit because I remember for more than a year, they came to the church. And I'm thinking, man, at some point, I mean, you're working. At some point, you got to get ahead of this. And one day, his 12-year-old daughter, you know, as we ministered to the youth quite a bit, just like we do now, one day his 12-year-old daughter was, was just weeping. And, and basically her teeth were rotting out of her head. 
This is a 12-year-old girl. And she's, her, she's going to basically lose all of her teeth. You understand? And she's like, I just wish my dad wouldn't gamble all the time. <laughs> you know, you go, oh, <laughs> you know, trying to help somebody get ahead of the situation in their life. And yet what they're doing is they're going and they're throwing everything away to the detriment of their family. And what you see is you see that somebody has not pondered their priorities with an eternal perspective or with that perspective of, if you will, their legacy. Our children are our legacy parents. There's no greater investment than we, that, that we can make than in our children. And children, let me say this, that doesn't mean upon the lust of your flesh. Do you know most young people today have way more than any have ever had? You know, it's like I tell my kids, I walk to school uphill both ways in the snow <laughs> we've all heard that right <laughs> no i had shoes thank god <laughs> yeah man let me let me share with you the importance of gaining a right perspective on eternity because when we look around sometimes we can see the wicked prosper we can see people who don't live their lives in a righteous manner we'll see people you know, who won't go and do something to help another. We'll see people who, who, who don't ever give to help anything, and what ends up happening is that, man, look at how much they prosper. And all of a sudden, we start to abandon our faith, or we start to abandon our convictions of doing so because what we do is focus on the wicked rather than the righteous one. Listen to what Asaph, one of the worshipers in, in David's crew, in uh, Psalms, Asaph, we see that he came to his senses and gained his spiritual or eternal perspective back when he began to see what the outcome of the eternal destiny was, not the moment, but what eternity was. Asaph shares how he almost stumbled when he became envious of the prosperity of the wicked. And this is Psalm 73, 1 through 3. He says, truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Psalm 73, 16 through 19, he goes on to say, When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. Do you know, there are many who have had plenty in this life to come to the end of their life and then begin to wonder if there is something else in the great beyond. Is there something else I'm going to have to encounter after I pass from this life? And they think back upon how they've lived their life and terror grips them. You know, Jared Lesneski, one of, he plays uh, the acoustic guitar up here. I remember him sharing a story with me. This is really grips me, too, to think back on what he shared with me. He shared how there were people in the, in the nursing home where he care, helped care for people. He changed the beds and, and uh, you know, cleaned them up and stuff like that. And uh, I remember him sharing a story one time about how he would see those who had faith in Christ, and then there were those that didn't have faith in Christ. And he watched those with with faith in Christ as they would approach the moment of passing away and they would they would uh, they would just go peacefully they would interact with their family kind of saying goodbyes they just kind of had a knowing I, you know I'm not going to be here much longer 
and calmly they would pass on to go and be with the Lord. He also shared with me the stories of those who didn't. And when, when there was sharing of that, they wanted nothing to do with that, and there was such anger and angst in them. But when they would pass, it was uh, screaming. There was no peace. There was anguish. And it was scary. That's how you defined it. It was scary. Why? Because the tormentors were coming. And they would even say that, keep them away from me. Get them away from me. And it was, they would be utterly tormented before they actually passed on to the great beyond. You know, I had the privilege this week, and I do say the privilege of doing a funeral for a woman who loved her family uh, and loved the Lord. And interesting enough, Sherry, you told me I could share this, right? Uh, interesting enough, um, Sherry and Mickey started coming to the church a few years ago, and uh, and their kids have been in our children's ministry, and they have dedicated themselves as parents to raise their children in the way they should go, that when they grow old, they won't depart from it. And, you know, most kids are afraid of death. But these two girls crawl up in the bed with Carol, <laughs> and they begin to talk to their grandma, their great-grandma, about how she's going to be with Jesus now. And she's going to be in heaven, and heaven's a beautiful place. And, and that one day we'll be back together because, you know, we'll be there too. There was hope. And you think about that in and of itself. See, consequence and reward. There are little children that understand the reward. The grandmother did too. But here are people who understand the reward of placing their faith in Jesus Christ. He came and he died on the cross for the reward that was set before him. The Bible says that he endured the cross for the glory set before him. The reward, the reward was you and I. That we would enter into the family of God and inherit, inherit eternal life, the very thing that he came to provide. <clears throat> Those terrors are real. When we think about the graphic illustration of hell that is in the Bible, the thing that we don't want to talk about, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Listen to this, Luke 16, 24 through 25, once again. Then he carried... Oh, excuse me, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Hell is spoken of as a furnace of fire, a place of intense pain. Matthew 13, 41 through 42 says the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. Hell is spoken of as a place of everlasting fire. Matthew 18, 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. I want you all going home today and chopping your hands and feet off. I'd rather you just repent, you know, give some thought, ponder your priorities in life, and uh, think of your everlasting perspective. Gain an everlasting perspective because it has huge effect on the way that you live your life. Can you say amen, saints? Listen to Mark 9, 43 through 46. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed 
rather than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where there the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched and if your foot causes you to sin cut it off it is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched the kind of worm that is spoken of here is the kind that preys upon dead bodies this speaks of their punishment after death that it will never cease it will never end right about now you're all thinking what i was thinking when i was preparing this message oh my god (laughs) it's like dear lord this is a serious matter when you read these scriptures it makes it such a serious matter why because it's reflecting bad news not good news jesus came to give good news right and this is reflecting such bad news hell is a place of fire and brimstone the bible says you know i thought today because I, i think of the way mankind thinks and how much culture can frame our perspective and how important it is for us to have an eternal perspective and i'll reflect upon that when we think about the hell fire and brimstone but but when you get down to it it really is a scary environment to think of hell and being in hell it's not a place we want to be but i got a clip together and how many of you ever saw the the movie armageddon it's kind of like hollywood's way of saying this is the way the world will come to an end a big meteor will shoot towards the earth and and it will destroy the earth and so on which you know i can't tell you how that's going to be but here's what i will tell you the earth will not be destroyed the earth will be renovated with fire the bible says it will be renovated just as the flood renovated it then fire will come just as as we are baptized in water as jesus renovates this earth formed from dust we came just as he renovated us as earth with the baptism the immersion just like the earth was immersed in water we are immersed in water to go into that watery grave and come up and walk the new and living way with christ so we are baptized with the holy ghost and with fire and it comes to renovate who we are and one day this earth will be baptized with fire and it will be purged and god says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth but i want to show you yeah you know what that's pretty good preaching i think (laughs) but i have a clip for you to watch because i feel like hollywood did nail one thing about uh you know armageddon if you will when the world comes to the end and i think this clip does it some justice turn the lights off before you roll that 200 degrees in sunlight minus 200 in the shade canyons of razor sharp rock unpredictable gravitational conditions unexpected eruptions things like that okay so the scariest environment imaginable thanks that's all you gotta say scariest environment imaginable uh that's what hell is See, when you think about what, and I, and I wanted that clip because, I, you know, I, I think Owen Wilson does such a good job at capturing that scariest environment imaginable. That, that's all you had to say, the scariest environment imaginable. And that's what the Bible does. It says the scariest environment imaginable. And it's something we should pay heed to so that we have a right eternal perspective. Hell is that place of fire and brimstone. And Revelation 14, 9 through 11 says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. 
He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. When we think about that, it's pretty clear. What's that saying? We've got to be careful about what we worship. Really, that's the emphasis there. What are you worshiping? Where's your heart? And what's your heart focused on? Because it is exactly what will affect your eternal perspective. See, if I ain't got any worries, man, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't believe there's a hell. Then you'll do whatever you want in this life. And one day you'll stand before Christ. And I promise you, this is exactly what's going to happen. Or you're impacted by what the word of God says. You're, you're gripped with fear, not fear from the devil, but a respect and reverence towards God that he holds life in the balance of who he is. And he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to provide a way that we might come into eternal life and be rescued from this world's ways. The fourth thing is it's uh, described as a lake of fire. In a great white throne judgment, uh, we find out that that's the moment when we all stand before Jesus and that final judgment will come. And the lake of fire is referred to in Revelation 20, 12 through 15. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. Reward and consequence. According to their works, by the things which were written in the books... The sea gave up the dead who were in it. The death and Hades delivered up the dead. This is where, where Lazarus is talking, right? Uh, on that final, this is where Lazarus is speaking this story that Jesus is saying. He's saying there's a great chasm, but even though that great chasm is there, one day all will be brought before the judgment seat of Christ, and that judgment will come. And it says that, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. There's no more Hades. The lake of fire is all that will exist from that point on. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, somebody say, that's some bad news. Yeah. So now for the good news. Jesus does not desire that any of us end up in hell. His hope is that none of us would go there. The important thing to keep in mind is that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn it, but he came into the world to save it. Can you say amen? John 3, 17 through 19 says, God, we know 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But we read on and we find out God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. 1 Peter 3.9 says this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness. But is long suffering towards us. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. How do we come to repentance unless we hear the bad news that without Christ we're lost and destined to go to hell? Our eternal perspective is that we will live 
if you will, we will live a death forever. In other words, we still exist. We're conscious of that existence, but we're conscious of it in a state of death. There's nothing good about it. There's no greater condemnation that can exist than that. Because of the fall of Adam, because the decision that Adam made, there was a consequence. Christ, the second Adam came, died on the cross to provide us a choice again. Adam subjected us all to the futility of sin nature. We cannot do this ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. But the Bible says when the second Adam came, he put sin to death. And because he did that, he restored something back to mankind. See, Adam stood in the garden with choice, living in righteousness, and chose to live in sin. We're born into sin, and Jesus, the second Adam, dies on the cross to provide a choice that we might live in righteousness. Amen? Huh. The eternal life of righteousness that is provided through Jesus. John 14, 1 through 4. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. See, the new Jerusalem awaits those of us who have decided to follow Jesus and give him our lives as a result of him giving his Revelation 21, 1-7 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. You know, I don't know what it is about that, one verse but whenever i read it it always moves me to tears to think in that moment to be with him you know we read about him but man to be with him like that huh? anybody else desire that he goes on he says uh and god will wipe away every tear from their eyes there shall be no more death nor sorrow nor crying there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away then he who who sat on the throne said behold I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son or lady's daughter. I don't know where you are today in your eternal perspective. I know that, that in America, and uh, in, in, in Fr Francis Chan wrote a book in response to the book written by Rob Bell. Rob Bell's was Love Wins, which has to do with kind of, um, you know, uh, God's love. And so nobody's going to be, you know, cast into hell. They're, you know, it's even that reference of, you know, you can't see a loving God sending anybody to hell. Well, he's not going to send anybody to hell. The reality is, is you choose it by not choosing his son. But Francis Chan responded to that, that what we call a universalist theology that basically everybody's going to get in. There's different roads and we'll all make it. My Bible says that there's one way to the Father and that is through the Son. And that salvation is in Jesus Christ and him alone. 
And Francis Chan wrote a book called Erasing Hell. I don't know where you are in your eternal perspective. I know culture has a great impact on all of us. But I know that we need to let the Bible be what influences us about the way we think about eternity. Can you say amen, saints? And so if you stand with your, uh, to your feet today, I just want to pray a corporate prayer over every one of us. That, that as we read the Bible, we just won't pick the candy and the, you know, the ice cream and the Snickers bars and, and those things out of it. But we'll find those scriptures that are kind of like sitting down and eating our green beans uh, or our asparagus. Who likes asparagus? Man, there's a lot of people. Okay, Brussels sprouts. Who likes Brussels sprouts? Man, what the world? We got weird people in here. I like all that too. Jeremiah likes no green vegetables, and I want you all to give him a hard time about that. Because if he and Danielle, I mean, they're getting married, man. They're going to have grandchildren, and they need to eat their greens, amen? But here's the, here's the deal. Here's the deal. There are things in the Bible that, that don't strike us pleasant. We don't, we don't enjoy them. We read them, and it's like, man, I just, I just don't know what to think about that. And I don't know if you've ever had this thought, but sometimes I read the Bible, and I find out how that sin nature is still there trying to creep in. Because I'll read something in the Bible, and, and I, you may not think this because it's horrible, but I'm going to admit it to you. I'll read something, and I'll be like, what kind of a God are you? And I'm like, whoa, what are you saying? He'll strike you dead. You know, it's, and that's the problem. He's a loving God. But he's also a righteous God. His Holy Spirit is a comforter, but he's also the spirit of truth. I've often said this, that the Holy Spirit will never give us the comfort we really need and lie to us to get us there. He'll speak truth. He'll bring conviction in our life so that when we find ourselves in that state of repentance, as the Bible says, that all men might come to repentance, when we find ourselves in a broken, convicted state, at that very moment, the same Holy Spirit wraps His arms around us and says, but God loves you. Come to Him, all you are weary and heavy laden, and He will give you rest. Amen? Stretch your hands out to heaven with me this morning. Father of lights, we pray right now, Lord, we stretch our hands out to you. We extend ourselves. Lord, I remember long ago when a preacher taught me that uh, sanctification flows up and anointing flows down. That repentance flows up and re forgiveness flows down so father we stretch our hands out to heaven right now and we once again give you our lives i wonder if you might pray that with me heavenly father i thank you that jesus died on a cross and he didn't die in vain but he died for purpose an eternal purpose my purpose that i might have a relationship with you so, Lord, I receive that fresh this morning and new. And I thank you for the gift of salvation that I have in Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I pray that you restore unto us the joy of our salvation. We thank you. And, Father, let us go from here today and share that joy with others. 
Lord, not condemnation. Father, a clear message that there is bad news, but we've come to share the good news. And Lord, let many come to the knowledge and the saving power of your Son, Jesus Christ. And everybody said a loud and thunderous, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy your day.